stay in this neighborhood. It's a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. Well, hello, neighbors. Whether you're joining us from our Bentendorf campus, our men at Kiwani, at our Rock Island campus, or online, we want to say thank you for joining us in our neighborhood series. Um, if you've missed any of our conversation, I want to encourage you to go online, heritageqc.com. You can click on the Watch Series tab and get caught up to where we are. We're in the third week of our Won't You Be My Neighbor series. And so far, we've looked at kindness and civility as core needs that we need to address to neighbor others well. You know, we've been using Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as a tool for discussion. And just this past Sunday night, we uh, did a screening of the Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary, which is just sort of a little deep dive into Mr. Rogers' life. And we had some great discussion. Uh, we took a break in the middle and then afterwards to just talk about some of the issues that Mr. Rogers brought to the forefront so many decades ago that we're still dealing with today. I want to thank you for uh, coming out in support of that event. We had over 300 of you who participated in that event. And one of the highlights of the evening was the opportunity to see all of the paintings that the men from Kiwani um, had provided us with um, just to depict our journey through the parables. And so those were all available for people to view. And then we held a silent auction uh, to pass those pieces of beautiful artwork on. And we raised over $3,000 to increase our ability, yep, you can applaud that for sure, to increase our ability to partner with those who are incarcerated at Kiwani and at the Rock Island County Jail and to just continue to see God's kingdom expand in those places. And I want to stop and just say thank you to the men at Kiwani who shared that beautiful gift of your artwork with us. You did just an awesome job and and there are many proud owners of your artwork represented in our church family and so we just want to say thank you for sharing your gift with us in that very special way you know pastor sean ended our sermon last week reading from james 3 james 3:18 and he was talking about our need and our call to be peacemakers but we talked about this reality that we can't make peace if we haven't engaged emotionally and relationally and spiritually with the other side. And if we haven't intentionally built bridges of relationship to cross over, there just remains this great gap between us and other people. And so I want to pick up there, but I want to read James 3:18 from the message to kind of start our conversation around empathy today. It says this, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work, 
the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. And I think we could add in here, treating each other with kindness and civility. You know, the world that we live in today gives us the illusion of community and connection. And I think social media is one of those things that really feeds that. You see, social media allows us to catch just a glimpse of, of people's lives and invites us to make snap judgments about them, to say things to them in a, in a remote way that we would never say if we were face to face with that person. And I would say it generally seems to bring out the worst in many of us. We need to acknowledge that space, it's too vacuous and too empty for there to really be the possibility of healthy and robust community. You know, I found for myself, I need to maintain a pretty low presence in social media because it invites me into a spirit of comparison. And I get really frustrated with like the latent hostility that just kind of seems to be everywhere. It doesn't quite just erupt and boil over, but it just kind of seems to be present everywhere. And at the end of the day, I find that knowledge is sorrow in that space. But social media would tell us you're actually getting to know each other in that space and that you are connected. But James reminds us community always takes hard work to get along, to provide space for connection and safety and love, to truly experience community. And so I wanna invite all of us as we engage in this conversation around empathy to, to commit to being a part of building healthy and flourishing and robust community. So as we look at empathy, we're gonna first define it and we're gonna look at how we engage with it in healthy and life-giving ways. But because everything contains its opposite, it's one of the mysteries of life, I wanna go back and I wanna look at the behaviors that we've already talked about. And so here's what, here's what I'm looking for. When we look at kindness, Part of the reason that we understand kindness to be what it is, is because its opposite exists. If the opposite of kindness didn't exist, the behavior would just be a normative thing that we all experienced, right? Are we tracking? So the opposite of kindness, we know kindness because meanness exists. And so we can recognize kindness because of meanness. All right, let's do this with civility. We recognize civility because rudeness and incivility exists. Let's do the same thing with love. We recognize love because what exists? Yeah, so I'm hearing a lot of the word hate. And it does seem like that would be an opposite. And it certainly, certainly stands in contradiction to love. But Elie Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor, said this about love. He said, I have found that the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy. Because actually hate still provides a connection with the person. Hate is still emotion that you're exerting towards someone. Apathy says, I see you, I see what's happening with you. I, I could be connected to it, but I want you to know that I choose not to care. Apathy, indifference, really maybe more the stronger opposite of love than hate. Antipathy takes this a step further or ignorance. 
and says, I don't know and I don't care. And it's actually a posture that people have to protect and people work to maintain. And so what's the antidote to apathy? The antidote to apathy is empathy. But there's a challenge that comes with engaging with empathy because it's a road, it's a journey to get there. So I think it's important for us to say, what are we talking about when we talk about empathy? Now, a lot of times people take sympathy and empathy and kind of use them as synonyms for each other and, and say that they're the same thing. And I want us to differentiate a little bit for our conversation today. You can follow along with your note guide and I encourage you to do that. That's gonna be a helpful tool for our conversation today. So when we talk about sympathy, what are we talking about? Sympathy says, I understand what is happening to you. So there's a connection, there's an acknowledgement of what is happening with another person, but, but it really, it stops short. Empathy says, I understand what's happening to you and I feel what is happening to you. I am choosing to identify with what is happening to you. And so you can feel what a person is feeling. You can suffer in the way that they're suffering. Empathy is what restores the full humanity of each individual person. So what's the purpose of empathy? It's to genuinely love the Lord our God with all of us, including our feelings. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves. You know, each week we paused in this space of talking about ourselves. And we've stopped and we said, you know what? It's okay to be and we should be kind to ourselves because it's out of the overflow of what's going on inside of us that we're able to engage with other people in healthy, life-giving ways. We've said we need to be civil with ourselves. Some of us have such a negative tape playing in our head. It is a beat down all the time. And so we've said, be civil with yourself, be life-giving, be hopeful, be encouraging with yourself. And here's the encouragement where it comes to empathy. Feel your feelings for yourself. You see, a lot of times we get afraid of our feelings and we don't know what to do with our feelings. And so we choose to interact with our feelings in different ways that aren't about feeling the feelings and being empathetic with ourselves. And so we self-medicate and we do a bunch of exercise. We get really busy, we're workaholics so that we can do all this stuff so we don't have to be present to feel our feelings. But here's what I know to be true. You can't heal what you can't feel. And so you can't be healed inside of yourself if you don't process the feelings that are happening inside of you. And you can't be an agent of healing and reconciliation for other people if you can't feel and connect to what they're feeling or what they're suffering. John Steinbeck said this about empathy. It means very little to know that a million Chinese people are starving unless you know one Chinese person who is starving. It points to we've got to have a relational connection. Sometimes we look at these issues or these spaces of suffering and need, and it just feels overwhelming because it's this whole big thing. And I would submit that the best way to interact with that is to make it about one person and connect to one person who's affected by that suffering. 
and be open to connect in an empathetic way. Now let's talk about compassion. Compassion is the healthy movement that comes out of empathy. Compassion's the willingness to relieve the suffering of another person. It mobilizes sympathy and empathy into action. And now we're gonna get to the fill-ins in your note guide. This is how I think about this. Sympathy is what's going on with your head. It's when you take in information or you interact with a person and you start to understand and connect to in your mind what is happening. Empathy takes this into the heart. And you've now opened up your heart into a space of connection and care and feeling. And compassion is our hands and our feet. It is what mobilizes empathy and sympathy into a productive outlet. Jesus modeled this for us over and over and over again. But I love the account of him in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. Jesus is all over the countryside, he's in Galilee, and so he's healing people, and he's teaching and preaching, and there's quite a crowd that's following him everywhere he's going. The disciples are there, his band of followers, and Jesus encounters a man with leprosy in verse 40. A man with leprosy came, and he knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, Jesus... You can heal me and you can make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. This is such a beautiful story. I think to take it all in, you've got to understand what was, what was happening in the space. You see, lepers at that time were the pariahs of the day. There was a lot of fear around leprosy. It was a visible disease. People who had leprosy were were grossly disfigured and they didn't understand where it came from. Many religions considered it a curse from God and and that it was really an outward manifestation of sin or a curse on yourself. And so the other thing they knew about leprosy was it seemed like that it spread as that person came in contact with other people. And so you might have a whole family unit um, that was affected by leprosy. And so what people did is they shunned lepers and they isolated them and they moved them outside of community and they were not allowed to be in connection in their family, um, in their village, in their tribe, whatever their natural connections would have been. And so think about that. This leper has probably lived outside of town away from people for I don't know how long. And he, he fights through the crowd. And can you imagine what people were saying? They're probably hissing at him and saying, what are you doing here? And you know, the disciples, they were all about protecting Jesus. So I have no idea how this leper got all the way up to Jesus to get close enough to have a conversation with him. But a way was made. This leper courageously presented himself to Jesus in front of all these people. He said, Jesus, I believe that you can heal me and you can make me a clean person again. And then it says this, moved with compassion. The word for this is in the Greek, it's one word. And and the word means that Jesus felt it all the way down in his gut, that he had to do something. The gut was like the the heart, the soul, the, the very essence of a person. 
And so this, this word is used to say, Jesus moved with compassion, felt that he had to do something. And what did Jesus do? Jesus could have just said, be healed. Jesus did not even have to be present to heal that man. But what does Jesus do? He moves towards that man and he touches him. He touches him, he dignifies him with a touch. And he says, be healed. You know, this reminds me and let it remind us that God is a God who moves towards us. God is for us. There is no one that God shuns emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. God is for you. He loves you. He is a God with us and he is a God for us. Now, we, we, we read this and we're like, man, Jesus, he is the bomb, but I am not Jesus. I'm a finite person and I can't feel all the feelings. I can't care about all the things. I can't be present with all the pain. And what we tend to do is we draw a really small circle around our life and around our hearts and we say, you know what? I think I can manage caring about this much. But here's what I know to be true. Acting in compassion is the best antidote to empathy fatigue. Because what happens is we take in the feelings, we start to connect and we get worn out with it. It just starts to feel like we get frustrated, it feels bottled up. And here's the release. The release is acting in compassion to those around you, to the neighbor that Holy Spirit is bringing into your path. Engaging in compassionate acts renews our ability to keep on caring and being present in the tough spaces in our world. But here's one of the great challenges with empathy. It requires vulnerability. It requires us to emotionally connect with another person and identify with and share in their sufferings, their distress and their challenge. And this means that we have to give up some control, which we hate to do. But this is the way of Jesus. In Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus becoming completely vulnerable, identifying with us and our humanity and entering into our suffering of a broken world as a baby. The most innocent, helpless, vulnerable. Is there anything more weak and vulnerable than a baby? And that's what Jesus did. The incarnation is the embodiment of what vulnerability should look like for us. But it's very difficult in the world that we live in today to be vulnerable. I think it's because people want to exploit vulnerability and call it weakness. And I freely admit, I find this challenging to not know if the people I interact with from day to day might want to slug me or hug me. Part of this is just our world becoming increasingly uncivil and unkind. And so our reaction to that is we wanna take a step back and we wanna insulate ourselves from the possibility of being wounded. And yet Jesus says, nope, it's not back. We need to press in, we need to move forward. 
Jesus invites us to be moved with compassion into kindness and civility and connection with our neighbors. But my friends, we have a choice in how we respond. Brené Brown says this about that choice. She says, integrity is choosing courage over comfort. It's choosing what is right over what is fun, fast, or easy, and choosing to practice our values rather than simply just professing them. My brothers and sisters, if we're gonna be good neighbors, it's gonna require us to practice our values in uncomfortable ways. We should think about empathy and compassion as muscles, that when we don't use them, they atrophy and they get really weak. And the way that we exercise our empathy and compassion muscles is we deliberately choose to be in situations that are uncomfortable, that aren't easy, that are beyond what we can bring into the situation because it's then that much is made of Jesus. I had the opportunity in April, I was invited to travel to the border of the United States and Mexico down to El Paso, Texas and Juarez, Mexico. And I was with a group of faith leaders and we were invited to interact with government agencies on both sides of the border, with social service agencies on both sides of the border, um, to serve in shelters on both sides. And one of the things that I considered about interacting in that space was the complexity around immigration. Immigration is a system that is really broken in our country and there's a ton of injustice around it and it needs to be fixed. And it is affecting everyone. So my goal really to, to be down there was like, I wanna listen, I wanna learn, I wanna be present in those uncomfortable spaces. I wanna be prayerful about it. And I wanna be empathetic, I wanna be kind. I wanna be able to look at the person in front of me and just treat them as a person made in the image of God. And so it was fascinating to be able to talk to border patrol and to talk about, listen to them talk about their, their concern about them losing their own humanity and the system they're being asked to function in. And being really heartbroken about some of the things that they have to do as they interact with the people in front of them. And one of the things they said to us is, hey, this isn't working for us any more than it's working for the immigrants that are being affected by it. We need reform. Please keep talking about that. We interacted back and forth and we ended up in a shelter back in El Paso towards the end of our time there. And there was a group of, of uh, asylees who'd already presented at the border. They had their paperwork. They'd been processed through ICE to go all over the country uh, to different, different places. And so ICE just comes in a bus and drops them off in different locations. And this particular shelter was a church that had converted itself into a space with cots where asylees could be processed and kind of sent on to their final destinations. And so we got there and we got there just as a whole group was a arriving off the bus and so we said, hey, how can we help, how can we serve? And they said, well, we're gonna segregate, you know, men with children and women with children and you can just sort of start to assess the need. And so most of my group went with the women and children and there really wasn't anyone interacting with the men 
So I grabbed a, a bucket that had like chapstick in it and lotion and some band-aids and stuff like that. And, and the translators were all over there. And so I just said a quick prayer that the Lord would help all my high school Spanish to come back to me. And off I went. Um, and so, you know, just interacting in that space um, looking at each man, asking what, what he needed, how I could serve him, you know, whether it was a tube of chapstick or some lotion. And I got about to the, I think it was the third or fourth guy in, and I had this interaction. A man was sitting down, and he just pointed at his feet. And I was like, okay. Feet. What is feet in Spanish? Okay, what's the problem? Um, and, and so I, you know, had him take off his shoes, um, which he did, and I could quickly see what the problem was. His feet were just trashed. None of these people had had a shower in weeks. They smelled. There was all kinds of stuff going on with them. Lots of them had coughs and colds. Um, but this particular man, his feet were just completely infected. Now, you need to know this about me. In this moment, I would have rather dealt with a sucking chest wound because at least I was trained for that in the army and it seemed more manageable to me than dealing with someone's feet because I am not a foot person. My boys, I love them. I mean, I would die for them. But about the time they got to the age of five, I was over their feet. And I would deal with the throw up and all the things, but if it was a foot thing, they went to their dad to take care of that because as much as I love them, I'm just not about feet. And so one of my teammates took this picture and full disclosure, you know, they were like, oh man, there Beth is just like Jesus taking care of this man's feet. And I mean, I'm really struggling here in this picture. You can't really see that. But the only thing that got me through this was empathy. Sympathy would not have been enough. It was empathy. It was, if those were my feet, I sure wish that someone would take care of my feet. And a lot of prayer. That's what was getting me through. He was crying. He started to tell me his story. I just stayed at his feet, got hydrogen peroxide and triple antibiotic and just started trying to clean him a little bit and bandage him up some. I was crying too, partly because of shame. I felt really badly that my reaction was to inwardly sort of recoil because it was about feet. But partly also just embracing the space of learning and growing and getting to exercise my empathy and my compassion muscle a little bit in a new way in a new space. You see, immigration can be this complex, big issue, but at the end of the day, immigrants are people who are made in the image of God. You know, I think a lot of times what keeps us from stepping into those spaces of uncomfortability is fear. And I just want to remind us, my brothers and sisters, that fear is not from the Lord. Perfect love casts out all fear. And so when we give in to fear, it is making Jesus and Holy Spirit in us really small. One of the questions that Jesus was asked over and over again in his ministry was, who is my neighbor? Jesus, who, can you tell me again who my neighbor is? People wanted to make sure they got it right. And they also wanted to know, Jesus, 
Can my enemy also be my neighbor? And according to Jesus' definition, the answer is a resounding yes. You see, neighbor is anyone with whom we live or chance to meet. Why? Because all people are made in the image of the Godhead. In our first conversation in this series, we talked about kindness, and we looked at the, the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan could have given himself a pass on stopping to help the injured man on the road. Why? Because by social custom and the rule of day, that man was an enemy. Because Samaritans and Jews were ethnic and cultural enemies. And yet, you know, the word that is used to describe what the Good Samaritan did is the exact same word that we just read about when Jesus was moved with compassion. That's the same word that the Good Samaritan, the same word is used to describe what he did as he moved toward his enemy and gave care. And so we have to remind ourselves that we can't give ourselves a pass on neighboring just because we can justify a gap that exists between us and someone else, whether that be by social stigma or prejudice or our own comfort. We can't say things like, they aren't from the United States. They used to be in prison. They live in a bad neighborhood. They don't know English. They worship a different God. They're a Democrat. They're a Republican. Cuts both ways. We can't give ourselves a pass. Why? Because the red letter words of Jesus found in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36 are our challenge today to dig into. Jesus said this, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on your cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't even try to get them back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We know this to be the golden rule. But this, my friends, is the baseline of the invitation. This is the beginning because the gospel takes this a step further. Jesus goes on to say, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high God for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You, my brothers and sisters, we must be compassionate just as your loving father is compassionate. I read those words and I'm like, ouch, wow, that's a lot, Jesus. 
And I know that in my own strength, I can't even begin to do that. And neither can you. We need Holy Spirit in us. It's what empowers us to actually be able to do this. I mean, Jesus is making a great point because Jesus is saying, look, if you do all that stuff, but you only do it for people who are doing the good stuff back to you, if you only love those who love you, what big deal is that? His invitation is to, is to be a ready witness that the kingdom of God offers a different way and even can be a place where enemies can love and connect with each other. It is only Holy Spirit in us that can empower us to love those who hate us, to love those who have apathy toward us. And here's the good news for us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have received a deposit of Holy Spirit in you. And as you grow in that, and as you cooperate with the work of Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is in your life. And if you think about your life like a field, Holy Spirit is in your life plowing that field, planting seed, weeding it, tending it. Why? So that there can be a harvest of fruit in your life. And the fruit looks like love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and kindness and self-control. These are the attributes that open doors, that build ready bridges to people, people who might even be viewed to be our enemies. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he knew that your neighbor would look and act and believe and worship and love differently than you. It's kind of the whole point of the command. Because we live on a river, I want to give us a visual of what we're talking about. What this invitation is to interact with, with moving from sympathy to empathy to compassion to justice. And so... I didn't want you to miss Pastor Sean too badly. So we're gonna try the easel against my better judgment. Um, I, think, I think maybe I've got it down though. So this river represents anything that's drowning people, anything, um, an issue of injustice that is keeping people down. And so there are people drowning in this river and this could be a river that looks like poverty or racism or sexism or incarceration or immigration. This river is the thing that is drowning people. Now, there are people who aren't in the river and these are people who have privilege and privileged, privileged people get to decide how they're gonna interact with what's happening in the river. And so these people have a choice. And so sometimes people outside of the river choose antipathy. This is that ignorance. This is, I don't know what is happening in the river. I know there's a river. I don't know what's actually happening in it. I don't care to know. And so I'm, I'm postured away from it. Apathy sits up here on the Mississippi River Valley on these hills, nice hills that we have alongside our river and says, I can see what's happening there, but I choose not to care about it or connect with it. And so I stay removed from it. 
Sympathy's down here. It's going, yep, I see what's happening. I'm understanding. I'm not really sure where I'm at and engaging with it. Empathy's all up in here. Empathy's like, I, those people are drowning. If I were drowning and I feel like I might be drowning standing here, I would want somebody to do something about it. And so empathy quickly moves into a person with hands and feet who expresses compassion and says, you know what? There's a bunch of life preservers here upstream. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna put a life preserver in everybody's hand and I'm gonna mobilize them to rescue people out of the river. And you can do that all day long and you can pull people out of a river, pick the issue, the area of injustice. But after a period of time, somebody needs to stand back and ask the question, why? Why are people drowning? What is going on upstream? And justice is what moves upstream into the space of injustice and confronts the brokenness that is creating the need for rescue. You know, this illustration, this is what we're embodying as we intersect with the issue of incarceration in the United States. It's why we care so deeply about what's happening with, with the men and women at the Rock Island County Jail and our men at Kiwani. Because statistics show that within five years, over three quarters of people who leave prison will end up back there because of reoffending. Recidivism is incredibly high. And so the Kiwani Life Skills Reentry Center it is this way of intersecting with that and saying, what is, what is broken? for people leaving prison that we could actually try to mend while they're still in the system so that they actually have a chance of not reoffending on the backside. And so one of the things they've looked at is broken family relationships. And so we as a church intersect with that when we show up for day with dads and we provide inmates with the opportunity to give Christmas presents, we're trying to stand in that gap and facilitate connection for our men at Kiwani with their families so that when they get out, that variable around family hopefully is a little bit more healthy and a little bit more robust. Whenever we're intersecting and going upstream and asking that question, I believe it pleases the Lord because in Jeremiah 9, this is what we find. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches but that let the one who boasts, boast about this. This, my friends, is what is worth boasting about, that we have the understanding to know that he is the Lord. He is the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. God not only exercises kindness and justice, but he delights when they are present. And he invites us to be a part of a kingdom where those abound. You know, sometimes we might feel like our, our religion, our way of viewing God competes with that. Barbara Brown Taylor said this about religion. 
And I want to be clear that when we're talking about religion, man, theologians and philosophers and people way smarter than me have debated what they're really talking about when you talk about religion. But here's my best crack at a definition. Religion is man's attempt to build a system to connect with God or a God. And this is her invitation. The only clear line I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. And so here's our question for us to chew on in light of that. Who is the neighbor that Holy Spirit is inviting you to move with compassion towards? You see, our religion, it's, it's man-made, a lot of the things that we hold on to. What's pure about religion is this command from Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is the neighbor that Holy Spirit is inviting you to move with compassion towards? Jesus moved towards the leper. And my concern is that we've created a lot of lepers in our society today. There's a lot of untouchables. And so I wanna read this invitation over us to consider who our neighbor might be in a little bit different way. And the invitation is to love thy neighbor. And as I read these, if one jumps out to you, I want you to write it down because it might just be that that's the neighbor Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart. Love thy neighbor, thy homeless neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy white neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy racist neighbor, thy brown neighbor, thy incarcerated neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy addicted neighbor, dot, dot, dot. You can fill it in with whatever Holy Spirit is stirring in you. Here's what I believe to be true. Hebrews 13, two reminds us that when we intersect with a neighbor who may have previously been a stranger to us, it says this, for in so doing, some of you have entertained angels without knowing it. Let's pray together, because we need Holy Spirit to help us in this journey. Father, Son, and Spirit, how grateful we are for your posture towards us, that you are a God who is for us, you are not distant. You are empathetic and kind, and Jesus, you are the, you were the embodiment of that empathy. You took on flesh to identify with us and our humanity, and we say thank you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be strong in us, that you would give us the courage to move with compassion toward. We pray that you would grow our muscles of empathy and compassion, not so that we can say how strong we are, but so that we can say, you are strong in us so that much can be made of you, Jesus. 
I pray that you would do this, do this work in us as individuals, but collectively as a church. May we be known as a church that embodies empathy and kindness and civility and compassion and hospitality. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us so well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.